0: For tuning in to the Javier Morquecho Show, where you can learn how to start, grow, and scale your business from leading experts who want to help you succeed. I'm Javier, and I interview entrepreneurs, corporate executives, and thought leaders, and I share stories on my website, javiermorquecho.com. We're joined today by Dallas Verhagen, a business attorney from Hawaii who excels at uncovering opportunities, mitigating risks, and protecting profitability. In 2016, he became the co founder and partner of Verhagen Bennett LLP, a boutique transactional business and IP law firm for business owners, entrepreneurs, and creatives. Verhagen Bennett LLP specializes in startups, corporate formation, contract negotiations, and regulatory compliance. Hi, Dallas. Uh, welcome. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. So my goal for today is to share your story and to talk about your journey of starting, growing, and scaling your business, and at the same time helping other entrepreneurs and business owners start, grow, and scale their business. So from your experience, what is the, the greatest legal challenge entrepreneurs and business owners face that you have encountered so far?
1: Uh, you know, honestly, I think that it would have to be the, the simplest of them, and that's just keeping, uh, ev- you know, everything at the forefront um, in, in a legal sense. So th- things from compliance, you know, and the way that they're treating their employees to keeping up with the f- corporate formalities, you know, with their with their corporations to just making sure that they're abiding by all the rules that they need to abide by so that it doesn't come back to bite them uh, later on, um, you know, whether or not they... Are ever sued by someone, and you know, seeking to recover their personal assets through the business or something of that nature. Um, it's usually the smallest things that are of the biggest, the biggest consequence.
0: So, what would one example of a small thing that had a big consequence for a client that you've worked with, or uh, just any examples that you can give like that?
1: Well, we have a we have a client that you know has been running a business uh, through a limited liability company. The whole purpose of an LLC is to limit your personal liability if you're to ever be sued from you know anything from a from a disgruntled employee to someone that you get into a car accident with while you're on company business. And that entrepreneur uh, completely disregards all the corporate forna- formalities that they have to abide by. And, and that includes things like not commingling your your company's funds with your personal funds. So this person was, you know, putting all the income from the business in their own personal bank account um keeping the legal documentation up to date so you know having an operating agreement on hand so that you know if there's other other members in the company this operating agreement kind of is the constitution of the company without that um it kind of shows the courts that uh, you're not really a distinct separate entity than your business you're kind of just one and the same um, you know and and this person was sued Um, In the past, and not not while they were with our client and person tried to recover their personal assets and the judge looks at them and say, hey, you're really the same thing as your business. You know, you share your bank accounts and, you know, you don't keep up with the legal documentation that you're supposed to keep up with. Uh, You're really just the same person. And we're going to allow this uh, this creditor or this this claimant to go ahead and reach your personal assets, your house, your car. All of that was subject to, you know, to the liability. And so, and it's as simple as getting a separate bank account or, you know, having an operating agreement on hand that kind of lays the foundation for how you run your your company and and keep it within the guidelines of the secretary of state. So that's something that we see so often uh, with so many small businesses that, you know, form their company with the secretary of state on a website like LegalZoom and then just kind of not care about the formalities and, and, you know, they just focus on running their day-to-day business. And, uh, you know, eventually down the road, something like this can come back and, and you know, destroy your life.
0: Yeah, why do you think uh, most lawyer, or I mean, most uh, entrepreneurs wouldn't consider these these uh, formalities? So if they were to incorporate using an online legal service, uh, this would not what you're describing wouldn't be made apparent that they need to do that.
1: Yeah. So, well, first and foremost, entrepreneurs are, you know, especially the most passionate ones are so uh, involved in the day to day operations of their business. Often, oftentimes an entrepreneur has to bootstrap their business, meaning they have to do everything themselves and are working, you know, 16 to 20 hours a day just to make make their dream, you know, a reality. And along the way, these little corporate formalities, like making sure that you have an operating agreement on hand. Uh, are kind of on the back burner and eventually just forgotten, um, and so that's one thing that that we see a lot. Of clients that come to us and started a business through something like a LegalZoom or you know a Rocket Lawyer, and uh, they got their company filed and maybe their statement of information filed, but then they just forgot to do everything else, um, and uh, and it's because companies like that. And you know sometimes they're they're useful and they can be right for some people, and sometimes they're not um, you know, they don't have a live lawyer saying, Hey, you need to keep this in mind, take this checklist, you know, let's, let's follow up in a month with each other and two months with each other and see how you're doing and, and see if, if we're doing everything the way that it should be done. Uh, and that's just not something that you, that you get, um, sometimes with a lot of lawyers and sometimes with online sites like LegalZoom and Rocket Lawyer. Um, and so that's, you know, there's a lot of really smart entrepreneurs that are, Know, really, really well educated and and just it's, this type of stuff just gets put on the back burner and you can't help it, uh, you know, it just happens.
0: So is it the job of the lawyer to follow up with the entrepreneur to make sure that all these things are taken care of? And also, how can entrepreneurs find lawyers that are uh, making sure that they're keeping their best interests in mind?
1: It's not. It's not... It depends on what they're hired for. You know, A lot of people will hire a lawyer uh, you know, just to help them get started, and that's it. Um, but it, I think it should be the job of any lawyer to keep in mind that it, the lawyer is the one that's educated on this type of thing, and the client's not. The client is worried about their day-to-day operations and increasing their bottom line and making sure their employees are happy and their customers are happy. Uh, I, I think that it should be the job of any good business attorney to keep these things in mind and recognize when the entrepreneur might not be thinking of the things that they need to think of. Um, and and so, you know, we, we have a number of clients that we help start businesses for and, and we see them or we help them get these businesses off the ground. Um, and, and they've paid a, you know, say a flat fee up front. I'm sure you saw that on our website, uh, just for the corporate formation and, and, you know, five or six things. Um, oftentimes we set a reminder in our computer and and we'll remind ourselves to check in with the entrepreneur in in two months or in three months to make sure that everything is going smoothly and and make sure that they've kept these important items, you know, at the forefront of, of their business operations. And, uh, that's not the type of thing that we want to charge for because that's important to us. Uh, we don't want our, our clients to think that if they get on a 10 minute phone call with us to make sure that they're, fully compliant two months after we help them, that we're gonna charge them, you know, for that 10 minutes that we called them for. Um, so that that type of thing's important to us, and, and we, we do believe that it's it's important for, especially startup attorneys, to, to make sure that their clients understand the importance of it and help them get through it.
0: How can entrepreneurs find a lawyer who is dedicated to this, and are there signals or clues or even questions an entrepreneur can ask a lawyer to know that they will be a good business lawyer for them. Right, that's that's tough because
1: you know so many times you'll have lawyers who who right off the bat and maybe you know their first conversation or other their website they just come off as really thorough and and strong lawyers in that sense. But it really comes down to how you feel and do, and do you trust them? Do you trust your lawyer when you? when you speak with him and when you meet with him and when you're putting your business in his hands, do you really believe that he's going to help you do it? There's not really another way to, you know, you can look at Yelp reviews and and other reviews online that previous clients say he was great. He followed up or he helped me with this and this, or, you know, maybe this lawyer wasn't that good. He didn't, you know, he totally forgot about me and my business. Um, but it really comes down to trust and, and having that level of trust with the person that you're, you know, you're putting your livelihood, um, the success of your livelihood into.
0: So, what do you do as a lawyer to build trust in the entrepreneurial and business community?
1: Uh, I think a couple things. I think one are our, our honesty and our transparency. Uh, both my business partner David and I are, are, you know, we pride ourselves in how transparent and honest we are. If we can have a client do something, but the client doesn't need it and it would help their bottom line, then we we tell them that. We tell them that off the bit, off the bat. You know, why don't you save your money and, and focus on these other aspects of your of the startup process. Um, and clients want, we want clients to ask us a question and know that we're going to give them the most transparent and honest answer, whether that means saving them money or, you know, just feeling more comfortable in the way that they deal with us. So for one instance, I guess one example is that we don't, we don't charge our clients for phone calls or emails, um, unless it's, you know, a really substantive 30, 30 minute to an hour long phone call. Uh, the traditional law firm and, and partners of law firms charge for every minute of every work that they do, the, you know, the vast majority of them. Um, so, you know, so if if a client is scared that, you know, if he gets on a six-minute call with you to ask you a question about something that's important, but you're going to charge, you know, a, a, a tenth of your, you know, exorbitant hourly rate, that's an expensive phone call and the client's probably not going to do that. Maybe they'll just look on Google to find the answer and and, and find it in that way. Um, so we we try to be honest and transparent, and we try to make our clients feel comfortable knowing that we're not going to charge them fifty dollars for a six minute phone call or anything like that. And uh, and I think that kind of sets the the trend for how we run our our firm. You know, honesty, transparency, uh, we're as reasonable as possible, and, and and we'll let the clients know that from the very from the very get go.
0: Yeah. So how can you as a business owner um, be able to offer these kinds of benefits of allowing phone calls and emails without charge, uh, given that other lawyers do that. So what are you doing in terms of your operations that allow you to be more lean and to serve your clients more um, effectively? Well, thats I mean, that's a good question. I,
1: my, my business partner and I talk about this a lot, um, and, and it, I think it comes down to the legal industry being... Uh, archaic you know it's the legal industry is stuck in in a time that's you know decades ago so many law firms that i've seen or i've worked at or you know, I, i've visited have computer systems that were probably put in place for them 20 years ago and they're still using them and uh you know phone calls and emails and, and just the way that that certain law firms run their practice where it is less lean um it makes overhead for them way more expensive Um, and, and so for us, we try to keep everything as lean as possible. We have, you know, our practice management software that a lot of law firms do have, but we really, we really utilize it in a way that allows us to practice our law, our law firm from anywhere in the world. Um, you know, we don't, we don't have to be stuck here in a big, huge brick and mortar office that costs us lots of money. We can practice from anywhere and we do have a nice little office here on uh, third street in Santa Monica, but it's, you you know, we, we cut out the fat. We keep everything low. And also we're hungry. You know, people, people see that we're young. We're two young lawyers and and we're motivated entrepreneurs ourselves, you know, and and we're not going to shy away from working 18 hours a day, even if we can only bill for three of it. You know, we'll, we'll do the work that we have to do to make sure that we, we save our clients and their businesses money and we keep them happy. And in the long run, that's really going to come back and help us as
0: well. Yeah. So let's go back to, um, a note so your flat rate services uh, and business formation you have two different types California formation and the Delaware formation. How does a business owner know which one to pick?
1: Well, that's that's something that they should definitely speak with a, an experienced attorney about. Um, oftentimes, they know right off the bat because of you know businesses they form in the past, or you know, a family member that's a lawyer, or just googling. Um, it's it's up to them. There are different advantages. You know, California has kind of a high minimum franchise tax. It's eight hundred dollars every year, um, whereas Delaware is a little bit cheaper. It's quicker. It's a lot. It's a lot quicker to form a business in Delaware. So if you have something that you want to get started and open up a bank account right away, there's small things like that 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 are kind of meaningful to, to entrepreneurs. Uh, Delaware is also you know a state whose corporate laws have been business favorable for centuries uh, and and they've really built up a strong set of laws that are beneficial to businesses and and easy for businesses to navigate Um, and so there's little things like that 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 you have to consider and and oftentimes a person won't know right off the bat which one you know which state they want to go it says on there California and Delaware we can help incorporate in you know in a number of states we've we've done a lot of Nevada incorporations as well it really just comes down to you know, your tax goals and your, you know, your liability protections and your, and your costs, you, 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 the goals that you have for your, for your bottom line in the first year. Um, it really depends, but it's something that we offer for, for clients, um, almost nationwide.
0: So you said, uh, it depends on your goals, uh, in various areas, but could you give like maybe one strong example of why you would want to go in Delaware and then one strong example of, why someone should incorporate in California? Yeah. Um, you know, oftentimes
1: if, if the majority of your business is going to be in one state, um, California, for instance, my advice will be, it's going to be a little bit, it could be a little bit more expensive. Um, but you're doing business here. Uh, These are the laws that that you're going to want to operate under and and take advantage of. Um, just do it in California. There's a lot of people that want to set up say shell corporations where, or LLCs that just, uh, you know, f- say flip houses, you know, they want to, they want to set up an LLC so that they can, uh, they can, you know, go around the country and, and buy and sell houses and things like that. And if, if you're going to be doing business all over the place, then maybe you want to take a look at, at a state that offers, you know, lower annual taxes or, um, you know, simpler laws such as Nevada or Delaware. Uh, but a lot of our clients are startups here in California, and this is where their business is, and this is where their employees are going to be. And um, for an instance like that, then you know we're going to go we're going to go ahead and just recommend stay in California, pay the eight hundred dollar minimum franchise tax, um, set yourself up, you know, under California's laws, and and then if you want to expand and, and go into a different state, you're always welcome to do that as well.
0: Yeah. So for someone who does not have a business yet, and they want to start a business, so they start entering into some business engagement and are making money um, because they haven't incorporated yet, at what point can someone continue running a business without incorporating? Uh, and when is the marker that they should incorporate now?
1: Uh, well, well, you can run a business without incorporating for as long as you want. Um, the only danger for not incorporating is liability protection. Um, it's also much more favorable for investors and, you know, if you were to have a C corp, uh, rather than a sole proprietorship or an LLC. Um, but yeah, you can, you can operate a business as long as you want under a sole proprietorship. It When you, when you start to grow and, and maybe think about taking on additional members or partners or possibly investors, and that's, that's one of the points where you want to start looking at forming something like a corporation or an LLC or an S corp. Another reason is liability protection. You know, if you say you start a transportation company, there's a lot of liability there because you're driving around on the roads, and if you know one of your drivers or you gets into a car accident, that presents your business with all of a sudden possibly a you know big lawsuit, um, huge medical fees, things like that. And if you don't form an entity that protects you from liability, like an LLC or a corporation, then your personal assets are all of a sudden at risk. So. Say you've been operating for ten years, no accidents. You're lucky. You know you've made a lot of money and you have a nice big home and um, you know nice cars and things like that. But you're in a sole proprietorship. If while you're uh, you know under the guise of your business and you get into a car accident or, or create some other accident or, or you know damages for somebody, then all of a sudden that beautiful house and those cars uh, are suddenly within the grasp of, of the creditor of the claimant. Uh, so that's another that's another instance where you might want to go ahead and set up a limited liability company to kind of shield yourself. That's of course assuming that you you know you keep up with the corporate formalities that we spoke about earlier.
0: Would you say a limited LLC or limited liability company is something that most single owner entrepreneurs they might go that route if they're not looking for outside investment and uh, they may only hire contractors. Um, is that possibly the most common route that they would go to, or are there a different yeah, type? Yeah, I think that's that's probably
1: most common if you're not looking for investors and you know you're keeping your ownership within yourself. Um, I think an LLC is is the way to go. Um, you get the the tax benefits of pass through taxation. You get the limited liability protection, and it's much much more simple to keep up with the with the corporate corporate governance. You know, so you don't have to deal with so many documents and, you know, talking to lawyers to get advice on the, you know, on the, on the the organizational, the initial organizational documents, um, it's, it's easier, it's, it's more flexible. Um, and, and if you are dealing with contractors or employees and you want to issue equity to these, you know, key employees down the road, then you can, you can still do that. You can do that with the capital interest or you can do things like a profit interest where, you know, you, you allow your key employees to see a benefit in the growth of your company. Uh, But yes, I I definitely think that is, that's the way to go.
0: Can you just, you mentioned a number of uh, business types, sole proprietor, LLC, C-Corp, S-Corp. Can you just briefly go over the difference between the different uh, entities? And if there's another common one, uh, also describe that one as well.
1: Sure. Uh, Those are the main ones. Uh, You have a corporation, a C-corporation, which is the typical corporation that most people think about. Uh, it's called a C corporation because it's taxed uh, under subsection C of the IRS code, um, or the Internal Revenue Code, the IRC, um, and and that is there's double taxation with that. So you have you know the shareholders who make money from the income of the business, assuming that they're you know they're they're paid dividends, uh, and they're taxed on that money, and then the business is also taxed on the income that the business that the business sees. So there's double taxation there. An S corporation is still a corporation. You would form it in the same way initially, but then you would file Form Two Five Five Three with the IRS. And what that does is it basically allows you to be taxed uh, as an LLC might or a, a partnership might—that's you know, you know pass-through taxation, where it, the corporation doesn't pay taxes on the income; um, only the individual shareholders pay taxes on the income they receive. And there are certain benefits of doing that as opposed to an LLC, even though they might be taxed similarly. An LLC is just a limited liability company. It's it's more recent um, compared to corporations. They've become wildly popular in the last couple of decades. Uh, they're really really flexible in the way that you can you can run them. Um, they provide the same tax and liability protections that a as corporation might, um, and and, uh, and they're relatively inexpensive to form as well. And then a sole proprietorship is just a, you know a person that's running a business and they, they've done nothing to create a legal structure to kind of protect them. So, you know, you run your business, you get paid, you pay taxes on that. There's no other entity um, in addition to that.
0: And earlier you mentioned about uh, an example of a business owner not maintaining their corporate veal or veil right. and they were personally liable. Um, if you were to just be a single person LLC and would you be liable in that scenario um, because do you really need an operating agreement on hand and as long as you have a separate bank account, are you 100% protected? No, so,
1: so that's the thing is you don't, you don't, you know, an operating agreement isn't required by, by law, it's not, the state doesn't require it, but the state looks at all these factors to determine whether you are truly a distinct entity from your business. Um, and, 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 you know, those factors include whether you do keep absolutely sep- separate uh, bank accounts. You know, if you if you take money from the company that your company hasn't earned yet, do you properly reflect that as, say, a loan? Um, you know, do you, do you put that in paper and keep it with the company's records? Um, do you do you document all the major decisions that you do? Uh, do you keep up with the statement of information and file these, uh, you know, biannual um, these documents that you have to file? It's just a number of different factors that, that the, the judge will look at and say, all right, you, you've, you know, you've put in a lot of effort, you really are a separate entity from this business and therefore there should be no reason for you know, your claimant or your creditor to reach your personal assets.
0: So for an entrepreneur who's thinking of creating a personal brand based off of their own name, I would think this becomes particularly tricky or it might increase the risk Let's say you're a tree service person, for example, and your business is your name and then tree service, or let's say you're an agency and your business is just your name with the word agency after it, or, or your business is your name. Do you see, is that a recommended route to go using your name in your business?
1: No, I don't I don't think it found I don't think it's frowned upon or anything like that I think it again comes down to the totality of circumstances so you know I think the judge will still look at everything and um, no number of business owners that have an LLC and that their LLC name is just their name um, and and that's I don't think there's any problem with that at all
0: so it's okay to have your exact legal name be your LLC name and as long as you make sure that the business accounts are separate and you document major decisions, you should be your business LLC should be a separate entity. If there's ever any scenario that happens in the future. Is that what you're saying?
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that if you, if you comply with all the corporate formalities, you know, and, and you abide by all these kind of these rules, even if they're not required by the state, but if you, if you go out of your way to make sure that, that you treat your business, as if, it's a, as if it's a different entity, then there is no issue there.
0: Okay. And as a lawyer, if someone were coming to you with that scenario that they want to make sure that they're treating their business as a separate entity, do you provide guidelines on to help them make sure that they're doing the things that they're supposed to so that they are seen as separate entities? Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah. You know, it's whether whether it's working with them directly or just providing them kind of with a detailed checklist. Uh, that's that's definitely something that we'd like to help small business, you know, small business owners do. Uh, we always we always kind of say that we would rather keep our our employees out of court than to, than to defend them in it. Um, and, and, you know, if that's part of if that's part of um, what a client needs, then, yeah, absolutely. We're, we're happy to help them kind of get their get their books straight and, and make sure that they're fully compliant. Um, with everything that I need to, need to be compliant with.
0: Okay, and at what point would someone need to transfer from an LLC to an S-Corp or a C-Corp? Is there a most common scenario? Uh, the most
1: most often we've
0: seen that scenario
1: play out is when, you know, a person has started an LLC that's become wildly successful and all of a sudden they have investors, whether it's an angel investor or a venture capitalist or, something like that that wants to come in and, and you know be issued a percentage of the company in return for um, in return for an investment that's that's something that is, is pretty common um, and, and that's important for that because investors don't w- with an LLC you pay taxes on the income that's allocated to you under the you know under the operating agreement and so and usually that's based on ownership and so if you have a if an investor comes in and has a 20% ownership um, they don't want to be paying taxes on the income. Because they're not going to be taking the income, they'll be, you know, repaid over time, or they'll get to keep their equity and see dividends down the line. But they don't want to all of a sudden face uh, the tax, the tax ramifications that might arise in that situation, and you can avoid that with the corporation. So um, that's something that we've that we've seen quite a bit.
0: And does it matter if it's an S or a C corporation that? that they would
1: uh, no, it, I mean it's it's easy to it's easy to kind of switch. You should switch at the end of a tax year, but uh, it's it's as simple as filing a form with the IRS whether you want to go from a C corp to an S corp or an S corp to a C corp because your your corporation legally is has the same structure, but you're telling the IRS that you want to be taxed under a different under a different uh, code, a different subsection of the
0: IRC. And you said that it's a good idea to Convert over when a business becomes wildly successful. So, what number or what type of revenue does wildly successful mean?
1: Well, I guess I guess that was maybe a bit of an overstatement. It doesn't have to be wildly successful. If you're successful or you're not yet successful, but you know an investor really believes in what you're doing and thinks that you may become successful, um, then that's that's a reason as well. Uh, I don't think there's any. Benchmark for you know for revenue um, to determine that I, I think it comes down to whether or not and there's you know then, there may be some other reasons um, but I think it's going to come down to you know if you have investors that that want to invest and they want shares of a corporation rather than membership interests that may create some you know some tax ramifications then I think that's a good time to start looking into a
0: corporate structure and so just going off of the same line of thought is there a certain revenue that if a business is achieving this amount of revenue, and and even if there's no outside investors, that an LLC might not make sense anymore because maybe they're making too much revenue and a better corporate structure might help them save more on taxes?
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, I mean, I, again, it's entirely subjective, but there's a couple instances that I can think of off the bat where... For instance, if, if you're starting to make a, a good amount of money, say, you know, you're starting to pay yourself over $100,000, um, and that's not a benchmark by any means, I'm just using that by way of an example. Say that, you you know, you're paying yourself for the work that you're doing for the company a, a good amount of money with an LLC, that's uh, that's not a salary, that's a distribution, and so you're paying self-employment taxes on that. Um, normal taxes and self-employment taxes with something like a corporation, you can pay yourself, you know, a salary or a wage, uh, pay the, ta- the requisite taxes on that. But then, if if you want to distribute an extra amount to yourself as a dividend under the corporation, under the shares you have for the corporation, then you don't have to pay self-employment taxes on the dividends that you receive. Um, so, you know, for someone who's bringing in approximately a hundred thousand, that would amount to a couple thousand dollars um, in, in savings from the self-employment tax. It's not huge. Um, and those aren't exact numbers, but it, it's, it's a way to kind of save money and, and realize the benefits of a corporation um, over an LLC. So
0: how do you measure success of your clients?
1: Uh, that is a loaded question. I, I think, you know, obviously the, the bottom line is incredibly important, but if, if one of my clients is, you know, unhappy in the, in the business that they're doing and they're making a lot of money, then I wouldn't call that success. Um, it, you know, I, you kind of look at, look at, um, myself for an example, starting, I started a law firm, you know, with a friend of mine, we started with no clients at all. Um, and, and obviously, you know, for the first part of, you know, the initial life cycle of our business, we're not going to be making a lot of money. Um, we weren't and, uh, we were as happy as, as hell, you know, we, we were our own business owners and, and, you know, chasing after our own dreams and, and, you know, making, much less than someone who, you know, one of our classmates classmates who might be working for Latham and Watkins and making 160000 annually to start, uh, but working 90 hours a week and, you know, have a big old pair of golden handcuffs on. Um, so I, I, we kind of look at our, our clients the same way. Um, if, if they're making tons of money, but they're not happy and they're hating what they're doing, um, you know, that's not exactly anything from a legal standpoint that we can help them with, but that's, we'll see that. Uh, and it's the same, it's the same with just entrepreneurs in general, whether or not they're our clients.
0: And when someone does work with you or a lawyer in general, um, uh, how frequent should the entrepreneur be meeting with the lawyer? How much guidance should they expect and like how much handholding? Uh, can you just describe that kind of relationship that the business owner has with the lawyer? Yeah, I,
1: I think it, again, is subjective. You know, we see clients that come in and have us form a company for them and advise them on the initial organizational documents and kind of point them in the right direction and let them know what they need to keep in mind as they move forward. Um, but but then say that, you know, they kind of had a steady, steady line of, of um, growth or income um, but no but no major changes no you know rapid growth nothing like that then that's uh, an entre- an entrepreneur that we might not need to meet with as much or talk to as much or email as much or call as much uh, we have one client who incorporated a business in may and is about to get their first series of investments um, and that's that's rapid pace that's you know three and a half months going from formation to having investors that they need to negotiate with Something like that, you know, a client like that as a client, and I think it's kind of important to, you know, maybe have us on speed dial if they want. If there's something that they're thinking of, you know, late at night when they talk to the investor, first thing in the morning, go ahead and call us. I think that's I think that's important um, to know that in, that our clients can do that.
0: So when you were starting out, uh, where did you find your first clients, and what types of clients are you looking to serve? That's
1: a we, we really like this story. You know, this client is, is one of the most meaningful clients to us. Um, amazing person. Uh, my business partner and I were celebrating a, a friend's birthday on a beach in Malibu. Um, before we even officially, um, filed you know, our formation paperwork for, for our, our business with the secretary of state and got to talking to this client and, and just, you know, really, really hit it off. And, um, kind of kind of had the same mindset on entrepreneurship and our respective businesses and and uh, you know she she liked what we were doing and and our outlook on life and that we were you know doing what less than one percent of law school graduates do and kind of wanted her legal representation to to be passionate like she was and she saw that in us and so that was our first client and we still have her today and, and it's a blast you know it's a blast working with her and um, I think it's something. It's a relationship that we're gonna we're gonna keep probably for you know the next couple decades. You know, as long as as long as the business is going, or, or even if it's not, uh, I think it's someone that we see being a part of our firm, and uh, definitely a good story.
0: And so, for the second question, is there a type of client that you look for? And I was gonna say something along the line of what stage of business they're in. So. Uh, if they're early stage or if they've been in business for decades um, or is there some unifying theme of the type of client that you're interested in working with or another thing would be is it a certain demographic or a certain industry that they're working in uh... so what are the types of clients that you like or that uh... that you would like to have more of um,
1: man that is that's also tough because You know, every client that we've worked with, we've enjoyed working with and we've worked with, you know, companies that have been in business for decades and people that had barely just thought of their idea and want to start thinking, you know, thinking about incorporating and moving forward and, 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 you know, growing this idea of theirs into an actionable, you know, an actionable business. I think what we enjoy most, and I probably speak for my business partner here uh, when I say this, I think we most enjoy working with people that are just starting their business. Um, clients like that are the ones that you get to grow with. Um, it's almost like being in a, you know, an employee for a company and getting an equity share. Uh, we don't literally get any equity and, you know, we, we might not benefit financially a ton from a client, but, um, the startups are the ones that we get to see grow along with, with our own firm. Um, and I think that is so exciting. That's, you know, that's why I wanted to become an entrepreneur in the first place is because seeing growth and passion put into action is, is something that's really exciting for both of us and um, I, I think we almost get you know such a natural high out of seeing a client that we helped incorporate and advise on their ideas and their intellectual property protection and registration seeing them grow into something that's that's successful even if we you know kind of take a step back seeing them grow is, is really really exciting for us
0: and earlier you said that um, you can help incorporate in any state, not just California or Delaware, but are you only able to help people in the United States or can you help people in other countries like Japan or France, for example, or Germany?
1: Well, I guess I guess I should clarify. I mean, I'm only, both my business partner and I are only authorized to practice law in California. Um, so we're not, you know, we're not going out and helping clients that have no ties to California do business or, or we're not trying to practice law in other states or other countries because we can't and frankly we don't you know we don't know the laws of other states we have clients that are in California that look to expand or create businesses outside of California and those are the types of clients that that will advise on um on matters like that we we have uh two clients that are looking to expand their business um overseas and you know obviously we're not licensed to practice in Singapore where you know, where this client wants to take their business or Malaysia where, you know, another client wants to take theirs, but, but we can kind of advise on the, on the process that they have to go through, um, at least on this side of the pond, um, getting their business ready for, you know, for that kind of growth and that kind of expansion.
0: Do you feel the legal industry is saturated at least in the area that you're trying to work in, in California and business formation legal services?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's really tough because there are so many services online that offer, you know, formation packages for way less than a a reasonable attorney would charge. Um, And and so that's kind of where we have to, and we may have talked about this before, that's kind of where we have to learn to differentiate ourselves, um, which is an exciting part. You know, we have to set ourselves apart from not only the thousands of other lawyers that do the same thing that we do in our county alone, Um, but we also have to differentiate ourselves and and provide some kind of added value on top of these companies online that offer a formation package starting at like a hundred bucks, you know, where someone can go and pay the secretary of state filing fees and then a hundred dollars for the service. And they get a template, you know, that, that, that online company gives everyone who starts a business and kind of have to run their business from that, you know, that template or that checklist. Um, So that's really tough. There's also a lot of online um, freelance lawyers that, you know, that, that operate on, on certain websites where they provide legal services similar to what we do for, you know, 40, 50, $60 an hour, which is insanely low. I think the average and average hourly rate for a business attorney in Santa Monica is well over $300. Um, and, you know, and these online companies are offering that as well. Obviously there's a, you know, there's, there's, it can be a little more questionable doing that. I think even for the, the people that do it, they, you know, they might be wondering, I'm paying for a lawyer. I have no idea where he's based out of or, or I do, but it, you know, it's what do this guys ratings say? And, and they're choosing their, their, their lawyer to help them through these legal processes based purely on reviews and they can't go into their office and talk to them or have coffee with them or, um, or anything like that. So it is tough. It's, it's tough, but it's exciting because it makes us work harder and it makes us, you know, strive to differentiate ourselves and, and be more creative and, we get to pass that on to our clients uh, when we do differentiate ourselves. And so when, we, when we do get creative, we get to, we get to pass it on to our clients. So that's exciting.
0: Is there a type of entrepreneur for which freelance legal services online or other online legal services are right for them? And are there other entrepreneurs where working with someone like you would be right for them? Uh, that you know,
1: that's tough. Again, it's entirely subjective. There's a lot of instances where it might make sense to find a lawyer who has really good ratings on a freelance website, and 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 have them do you know what you need done. I think the benefit in knowing that you can have a face to face with your attorney, and you can sit down and have coffee with them, and have a conversation outside of the legal field, um, just to kind of get get to know your attorney, and and know that you get along with this person. Um, I think that's that's really important. I, I can't, I, you know, I can't discredit the legal, the online legal community in any way because there are some people that, you know, maybe are more introverts and don't want to talk to their attorney or see their attorney face to face and know that they can they can be, um, on a friendly level with their attorney. So, it it's subjective and it depends on the client. Um, I, I can't I can't pigeonhole any type of client into you know any type of legal services. I just I think there's a lot of benefits to having someone that you can meet with face to face or, or know that you're in the, you know, in the same region that you can go see your attorney when you need to see them.
0: Who would you say your competitors are?
1: Uh, that's tough. I, I, you know, I, I think the established law firms in the area are, uh, are probably our biggest, biggest competitors just because, you know, they're Not only are they, you know, they've been around for 40, 50 years, some of these law firms, and they have a well-known name in the community, Uh, but also it comes down to things like SEO. You know, these companies have had a website up for 15 years, and it's easy for someone to find them online, even if they charge $500 rates. If, you know, if someone doesn't find our website because we haven't been around that long, or we haven't dumped a ton of resources into SEO, then... That, that firm is still going to be a competitor, even even though their rates are double what ours are. Um, so, yeah, that's that can be pretty tough sometimes. But, again, it makes us work harder and, and kind of force ourselves to get more creative.
0: Okay, so, yeah, thank you. And I enjoyed talking about all these different uh, topics that I think other first-time entrepreneurs would be asking the similar questions. So I want to go more into your business, uh, Verhagen-Bennett. It's a modern business law firm. Uh, You develop innovative strategies. You help protect people's businesses. You help them achieve growth. Uh, Can you just tell us more about what you offer uh, at Verhagen Bennett? Yeah, yeah.
1: We, I mean, we want to be our trusted advisor. Um, That's a a term that I really like to use. We want to be a trusted advisor for our clients where they can come to us for everything. They can come to us for, you know, their their business and formation needs, their private equity or, you know, sorry, their private equity needs or their employment needs or their intellectual property needs. Uh, We want to be able to do everything for our clients and save them money while they do it and provide, you know, the quality services that we've prided ourselves in in providing so far.
0: So I'm checking you provide business law, intellectual property law, employment law, uh, and flat fee legal services, which we talked about earlier. With business law, you provide entity formation, contract drafting and review, regulatory compliance, employment agreements, commercial transactions, and for intellectual property, patent prosecution, uh, trademark clearance and registration, copyright registration, IP licensing. So it seems like there's a lot of things that you can offer. Um, How do you stay on top of the law for all of these areas? Because I would imagine they're probably changing all the time, right? Yeah, they are well That's that's
1: one thing um, you know starting starting a law firm from scratch with no clients We obviously would have a good amount of time to dedicate to business development and, and professional development um, So that's one thing my business partner and I have really have really focused on is educating ourselves keeping up with the trends uh, knowing what is important and what laws are changing Um, and then another thing is my business partner focuses on intellectual property. He's an IP whiz. Um, you know, he's, he's really passionate about intellectual property law and helping his clients kind of navigate that world. And so that's kind of allowed us to, to differentiate the, the practice that we each do individually. Uh, so whereas I focus on, on the business and employment matters, he focuses on IP. It kind of splits it up and and makes it a little more digestible for us when they're, or changes in the laws, or things that we need to learn.
0: Yeah. So I want to. I do want to talk more about how you started your company and how you met your partner. But before I do that, let's. I want to go back to your early years. So you grew up in Hawaii, uh, and you grew up with a family of entrepreneurs. Can you talk about how you learned, or what what you learned about entrepreneurship as a kid?
1: Yeah. I mean. Uh, I'll start with my dad when he was younger. Uh, you know, he took out a, a very small loan from his dad and bought a you know a pickup truck and a cooler, and uh, got some wholesale ice cream and just started going around the neighborhood selling ice cream to kids. Ended up making you know as a young guy hundreds and hundreds of dollars a day. Uh, you know that was back in the '70s, '70s and '80s, um, and uh, just kind of hearing his his never-ending stories about his entrepreneurship endeavors and the you know he he grew that ice cream that small ice cream business into a large distributorship on Maui, um, you know, where he, he got really big on the Island of Maui. And so just seeing him hustle every single day, day in and day out, and then build his, you know, single, single cab pickup truck, ice cream business into a large, large operation on Maui, um, was, was really valuable for me and seeing the hard work that he put in all the time. My stepdad, uh, much of the same. He moved to Maui, you know, when he was when he was really young, uh, in order to start uh, a business in distributing champagne, um, you know, and and some other goods that made no sense and, and didn't last. And so he he kind of found himself on Maui with, you know, a, a struggling business, nothing to do. And so he got to work and started his real estate business, having no experience in it before, and became one of Maui's most prominent. If not most prominent uh, real estate agents and developers and owners, um, and so just seeing them um, just hustle and, and do you know the hard work no matter what and not complain, I, I think that really kind of helped me to kind of weather the the ebbs and flows of of starting my own business. And I know it's totally different industries from what both of them did, but the the work ethic is. Uh, the work ethic translates, and, and I learned a lot in that sense.
0: So, are, are your dad and your stepdad still in business in Maui? Uh, my, my stepdad just retired.
1: Um, he, he finally called a quiz and, uh, and is now about to start living, living the good life and traveling and, and working on his, you know, the projects that he wants to work on instead of has to work on. Uh, he, you know, he probably could have retired ten, fifteen years ago if he wanted to, but he was passionate about it and kept it going. Um, now my, you know, my youngest brother, the only one still in the house is about to go off to college. So it's a good time for him to kind of ride off into the sunset. And then, uh, my, my father sold off his ice cream business maybe 15 years ago, uh, maybe more and has been doing a real estate development almost as a hobby. Um, you know, he's passionate about it, so we can't call it work, but he's been doing that for about the last 15, 20 years, still doing it going up the Tahoe all the time. And, and, uh, that's how he makes his, kind of makes his living and, and enjoys his life
0: so your mom was also in in the fashion business right
1: well she's done all kinds of things yeah she did she she got you know she was successful in real estate she started a you know a, a jewelry a jewelry company where she made native american jewelry pieces and sold those um, now she started her own um, eyelash business i know nothing about beauty the beauty industry but she's doing that and, and finding some growth and success in that as well so yeah, seeing her, you know, be successful in a, a number of different, you know, a number of different industries. She's never had to work, you know, because my stepdad has been successful, but she's always been doing um, her own thing and has found success at, at, at everything she's tried.
0: Yeah. So early on, uh, when you entered college, you wanted to go into business, right? You studied business administration. Uh, can you talk about what you wanted to be when you first went into college?
1: Yeah, well, I've always wanted to be the general manager of an NBA team, <laughs> and so uh, I, you know, I focused in management and administration, thinking that I would either go to law school and, and use the, you know, the education that I had in management and in, in law to try to segue into sports management. Um, and uh, so it's always just kind of been business for me, running a business. Uh, if it wasn't sports, so, you know, I wanted to build my own business. I didn't know what, but I knew that I wanted to. To be an entrepreneur and, and work for myself, um, so that that's always kind of funneled into to what I've become today.
0: You started out at a uh, University of Colorado, then you went back to University of Hawaii at Manoa, right? right. Yeah. So, uh, why did you change from yeah Colorado back to Hawaii?
1: Well, Colorado is an amazing place, and I and I would have stayed, um, but the the tuition there was just out of hand. You know, it was $55,000 a year compared to, I think I paid less than eight a year at, at University of Hawaii. And so financially, it just didn't make sense to, to burden myself with, you know, student loans that I'd be paying off. I have enough from law school as it is. Um, so that was something that I, I'm really grateful that I, I made, that, uh, made that transfer.
0: And then you ended up going to law school at the Pepperdine University of School of Law. You studied corporate real estate, civil litigation, and entrepreneurship. So, uh, what did you learn in law school in the fields of entrepreneurship? Um, you know, I
1: can't say that I learned it, and this is the beauty law, about law school. I can't say that I learned, and maybe this is just for me. I don't know. Maybe my other, you know, law school peers will see this and, and think that I'm nuts, but. I didn't, I didn't really learn one subject or any, you know, any, any area of law more than any other, um, I, I, the classes that I, that I took, I, I learned from, um, equally. Uh, I think what law school did the best for me was to, was to change the way that I thought and that's to, to question and to analyze everything that I do and, and not in a kind of a negative sense that comes, that might come off as in a negative way. But it's kind of prepared me to, to look at all angles in everything that I do. Um, I always knew that I didn't want to be a traditional lawyer. I didn't want to be in the courtroom. I, you know, as I said earlier, I'd rather help make clients stay out of court than defend them in it. And so I, I kind of went through law school with that mindset and, and, and experiencing the kind of mental change in the way that I thought throughout law school is, I think, what I've benefited from the
0: most. So... Um at some point, either before or after you worked in real estate and insurance, uh, were you working in the legal aspects of real estate and insurance, or were you working as a real estate agent or insurance agent?
1: No, I was never an agent. I, you know, I, I've learned from my parents in that capacity that you're referring to. I, you know, I kind of just shadowed uh, the real estate developers, uh, mostly my stepdad on on Maui, and kind of saw how he approached his business because he's not an agent he's a developer now and so he gets these projects that he works on for years at a time and there's a lot that goes into them from an investment standpoint a growth standpoint exit strategy um, and so that's kind of where i learned um, and what i learned in the real estate industry and the insurance was you know i i got out of uh i got out of um university of hawaii and got an offer and i you know i thought the pay was better than than anything else that I would have found. And, and, it, and it seemed exciting to be a part of it. You know, I was going to be a part of a new office that had just opened up on Maui. And so there's that, you know, kind of entrepreneurial spirit. And I did that for about six to eight months. And I kind of just realized that, you know, it, it was the industry wasn't for me. I'm not so much a salesman as, as I am, you know, an advisor. Um, and so that's when I decided to put my head back and down, back down into the books and, and go back to school.
0: And I, I know this is a little off topic, but just, I'm just curious, though, so who are your uh, dad and your stepdad? I would be curious to just, and I'm sure other people would be curious to know, like, what their websites are or, or what, yeah, who they are.
1: Well, my, uh, neither of them are, are operating anymore. And I don't know if they would, they would want me, you know, naming them because they're both retired and kind of doing their own thing now. Um, but uh, both both of them were, were big on the Maui. Um, I'm sure, you know, my stepdad wouldn't care because he's, he's had a pretty visible presence online. His name is Robert Sella. Um, and, he, you know, he got pretty big on Maui doing doing what he did. And, um, he, you know, he was probably one of Maui's top agents and, and developers and, and um, real estate owners. Um, and so he, he took pride in his, you know, his online presence and things like that. Um, as far as my dad, he's kind of an introvert and, and you know, likes his privacy and he's retired. So I'll, I'll leave that private.
0: Okay. Yeah, I understand. why I just got really curious as you were uh, talking about him. So yeah. going back, yeah, going back to your story. Um, right after law school, you worked for a law firm in the South Bay. Um, so, what were you trying to accomplish with your first job out of law school? Uh,
1: so, I actually worked with them while I was in law school. Um, I, maybe I maybe, I, maybe I, I made it less clear online. Uh, I worked with Yaffe and Cooper in the South Bay. Wonderful attorneys. Uh, some of the coolest guys that I know um, very, very talented at what they do. Um, and, and they, you know, they do what I want to do. They do mostly transactional business law and they, they are trusted advisors for each of their clients and they're very knowledgeable and wise. Um, they do some litigation as well and they're very good at it. Um, but they like to focus on the, on the transactional side. Um, and so just seeing the way that they worked and how they approach things with their clients and, how knowledgeable they were really made me hungry to, to learn myself and and do the research and study. Um, yeah, so that was, that was really beneficial with them before them. And after them, I worked with another firm in Los Angeles called Robinson Delando and they do, um, civil litigation, mostly insurance, insurance defense and personal injury defense. Um, they're, you know, also very talented lawyers, um, huge, huge caseload, and, uh, and I was able to get a lot of experience through, you know, a number of different types of cases when I was with them. And so even though I knew that I didn't want to do any civil litigation um, on my own, having that experience and going through, you know, a, a number of different lawsuits and, and the, seeing the process and the adversarial nature of it really kind of prepared me. Um, for other aspects of my business, like negotiation and um, and things of that nature, so both both very good experiences.
0: So, and when you were in college, uh, you met your your friend and business partner, and you had the mindset called anti corporate law. So, what is this? What is this anti corporate law? So, I, so I
1: guess what I what I, I would correct myself in saying uh, anti traditional traditional law firm. Um, I think the reason I said corporate is because a lot of law firms, uh, have that corporate feel, um, right where you, you kind of feel like you have corporate breathing down your neck. A lot of people that aren't in the legal industry might still understand what I mean by that. Um, everything is very formal and traditional and, you know, if you're an associate at one of these firms, a first year associate, you're probably never going to speak to a client. You know, you, you might, you might, um, Especially if it's a bigger firm, you might spend your first three years doing paperwork uh, or discovery or, or law in motion, um, and, and not see clients, not interact with clients, and be in the office, you know, twelve hours a day, seven days a week. And both him and I, that's just something that neither of us really had any interest in, any interest in at all. Um, we're very personable people. We want to interact with our clients. We want to learn from our clients and grow with our clients. And we can't do that if you know if we're sitting behind a desk doing discovery responses for 12 hours a day and so we both kind of saw that and I we, both of us are very entrepreneurial and and thought that it made a lot of sense for us to take advantage of our entrepreneurial nature start our own firm and really focus on being client-centered and relationship relationship-centered um, and, and I think we got really lucky um, you know being really really good friends and both having that type of mindset
0: when you were in law school, did you know that you wanted to start your own law practice? It was in the back of my mind. When I first started law
1: school, I, you know, I, I still wanted to do sports management. So I had an opportunity to interview um, with the general manager of the Charlotte Bobcats. And that, you know, just that experience alone kind of really pushed me to try to get into the sports industry. And then as I went through law school, I kind of realized that's an old man's game. If you're going to be in the sports law industry or an agent or something like that, you're going to start from the bottom and you're going to work for 20 years to get where you want to go. Um, and right now I'm, I'm where I'm at and it's been eight months and, and I, I'm where I want to be, you know, after eight months. Um, so I kind of realized that I can kind of do that on my own firm and on my own time and on my own dime um, and make money for myself. And, and he kind of had the same realization at the same time.
0: So your, your business partner is David Tyler Bennett. Uh, you guys met in law school, but... You ended up starting the company after you've graduated. So, um, what was your guys' conversation like after you've already graduated and you've been working for a while? So, uh, the conversation of okay, let's actually start this business.
1: Uh, well, the, the seed was planted. Um, you know, very early on, both of us were talking about starting our own thing, whether individually or together. Here's my roommate first. You know, first year we did the London program together. We we're just really good buddies. Um, and then, it, you know, right after graduation steam started to pick up, uh, he was about to start his own company in the intellectual property legal realm. Um, and I had gotten a job offer for a firm up in Santa Barbara that I was, that I was probably going to take. Um, and I was talking to him about it and we just kind of decided that we're in the perfect situation to do something together. Yeah, you know, the firm up in Santa Barbara sounds nice, but I'll still be working 12 hours a day for someone else and have those golden handcuffs and not, you know, not interact with as many clients as I want to. Um, And and he kind of saw the same thing. He saw that his intellectual property practice complemented my business focus practice and vice versa. Um, And so the more we talked about it, um, you know, after graduation, over the course of probably a couple months, the more we realized that, hey, we just got to do it. Let's do it. Um, So we got real excited. and, And, you know, right before the Christmas of that year, we we just took the plunge, and you know, we talked to some potential investors, and we started getting ourselves organized and got the ball rolling. And it's been a, a you know an amazing process ever since.
0: So, you have investors in your current business.
1: We had a couple smaller investors in the in the very beginning um, that that really helped kind of get us off the ground and, and help us kind of stay afloat while we tried to build up our practice. And and during the slow times, you know, we started with no clients, as I said, so. Uh, we had a couple investors in the very beginning that kind of helped us through that process, and now that we're uh, we're growing faster than ever, and, and we don't anticipate ever needing you know another investment again.
0: For someone who is an entrepreneur and is looking to get investors, uh, how how did you find investors, and how did you approach them, and what kind of conversations did you have, and maybe walk us through. Uh, how you got your investors? Well, I
1: guess the story for us will be a little bit different. Our investors came through family and friends, um, you know, people that we had already known that knew that we, you know, what we were doing and kind of believed in us. Um, you know, one reached out and offered to invest, and another, um, actually, both of them reached out and offered to invest. And at that stage, you know, they trusted us, and we trusted them, and we trusted in ourselves. So, um, so we, so we accepted their investment. You know, it's going to be a lot different for an entrepreneur. I think for an entrepreneur, you know, you need to network like crazy. If you're seeking investors, you need to be at every at every event that you can get to in your industry that has you know some of the best minds in the business or other people in your same shoes. Um, you need to you need to do your research on the different. In Southern California, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of angel investors and in venture capitalists here in California, especially with the Silicon Beach um, boom that I'm sure you're aware of. Um, but it's all about your research and the connections that you make and the networking that you do.
0: So going back, you mentioned uh, your business partner has more intellectual property expertise. You have more of a business-focused expertise. Can you just talk more about uh, your different areas of strengths, yours versus your partner's, and how it uh, complements? Yeah, absolutely.
1: So um, he's he's you know he has a chemistry background. He was going to be a doctor. Um, right, you know, right before he decided to, to go to law school. And so he has that, he has that, that um, IP background and he, and he loves it and he loves what he does, um, whether it's trademarks or, you know, copyright issues or patents. Uh, he, he really gets excited about, you know, the, the IP field and whether that's just, you know, doing a trademark search to make sure that a, a client can go forward with protecting their brand name or, you know, advising clients on their products that they have and whether they're patentable and whether they should move forward with them and if they do helping them move forward with them it's something that he's really excited about and that ties into a lot of a lot of the business stuff that I do because almost every small business owner you know has a brand that they really are trying to build or if it's already built up that they need to protect um, and so those two fields are intertwined um, and and always will be And so, you know, he, he also is educated, you know, we took a lot of the same classes together. He's educated in the same way. He worked with a couple startups before, so he knows the business industry, you know, as well as I do. Um, and so we really kind of take advantage of these two different areas and how they're intertwined and how we can utilize that for our clients. Um, for myself, it's, it's just, you know, I don't want anything to do with IP. That's way beyond me. I, I, you know, I leave that to him. I'll do some trademark stuff, but you know, the rest of it is off limits for me. I really try to focus on on my clients' businesses and how their businesses are doing and how their employees are doing, um, and and everything that has, you know, any any implications on the, their bottom line, their happiness with the business, the growth of their business, um, and anything of that nature.
0: How important is it to have mentors for you in uh, running and growing your business, and also mentors in? Uh, the legal aspects of your business
1: yeah very I mean you know we we're, we're young guys people see that we're young we we uh we're confident in the quality of the work that we do, but there are people that have run businesses for you know decades and their attorneys that they've used have' always been you know sixty five years old and practicing for forty five years or forty years um and so it can it can be a challenge for someone who's had a a much older and experienced attorney to look at us and, and feel the same passion that we do. And so having the advisors that we do and the mentors that we do is incredibly important, and we couldn't do what we're doing without them. Um, you know, they get the, the awesome guys over at Yaffe and Cooper um, to, you know, a couple attorneys that we have that are up in Santa Barbara and, and the Central Coast and up in San Francisco to the, you know, the litigators that we've worked with. Um, all of these people we've become really close with over the years and have been so gracious enough to extend that you know that lifeline or that that phone call or the email that you know if if we're uncomfortable with something then they have our back and and uh, and it, it's really been a beneficial beneficial relationship that we've been able to build with each of these people
0: and how important has networking been to your business and networking on both sides so networking on finding clients and networking with other people in the industry to find maybe who can be your mentors. Yeah,
1: in, incredibly important. Uh, just with any entrepreneur, uh, we we've tried to hit, you know, a couple of um, networking events a week. We're not always able to do that, but that's that's always our goal. Um, you know, we've we've gotten clients through networking, and we've also met some really valuable um, business and uh, legal um, legal mentors out of the networking. We've met a number of people that are that are pretty big names in the intellectual property legal field over here um, that we've been able to either steer business to or ask for advice. Um, yeah, so incredibly important and, and definitely would not be able to find success if we didn't take advantage of the networking opportunities.
0: So what kind of networking events do you go to? Uh,
1: there's a number of them. So there's there's you know networking events just for lawyers through the you know the the bar association so the santa monica bar association or the los angeles bar association um there are events like that that just lawyers go to and they kind of network and and talk and exchange business cards and and develop relationships that way with and then there's also uh startup networking events so we used to work out of cross campus for the first couple months of our of our firm and there's nothing but entrepreneurs at cross campus and so, almost every event that they throw, no matter the industry, there's going to be a lot of entrepreneurs and, and startup founders at places like that. And what a wonderful place to be if you're a startup attorney like myself. Um, so it really it really depends. Um, almost, you know, every networking event will be beneficial in some way or another.
0: And with all these things, going to networking events uh, earlier, you mentioned search engine optimization of your website, uh, blogging on there, meeting with clients. Uh, what is important for you to focus
1: on? Oh, that's that's tough um, because because we're um, you know a newer firm that we kind of have to focus on all of this. We have to focus on our SEO because people need to find us for us to be successful, and so we have to find ways that you know that we can budget a you know a Yelp or a Google you know net, um, advertising budget into our overall budget. We need to find time to go out and network because we need to meet the important people in our community that are starting businesses. And so it, it's everything. Um, and, and that's part of being a startup founder for ourselves. You know, some days we're gonna we're gonna work eighteen hours a day between the work that we do for our clients and networking and being on the phone with people that are gonna do some marketing for us and, and that's part of the grind that we really appreciate and, and we really like.
0: And very early on, you mentioned that there's some tools that you use to run your business, uh, online tools. Uh, so, what are some uh, tools that you use to help streamline your operations that might be applicable outside of the law in, or the legal industry?
1: So, I mean, there's law law firm practice management software that you know you can you can have on your phone, your iPad, your computer, and You can run your client management through it. You can run your invoices and and billing through it, your time tracking, um, all your documents can be in there. And that's something that a lot of the older law firms don't have. It's something that a lot of the younger firms are kind of transitioning to or starting out with. And that's a very small percentage of the overall law firms. Um, So that allows us to, to do our work from a Starbucks and have access to our client documents and you know, things like using the cloud a lot of law firms use a private um, a private network that's in the office or that might be hard to get get to from home or on their laptop um, you know if they're traveling abroad in Spain um, we have we have a, a, an associate who's one of our good friends who did the same thing he started his own firm and he's been traveling in Spain for the last month and he's been able to stay busy working from Spain using the same type of client management software and processes and, and things that we do so Being able to do that and work from anywhere and, and you know On the same line cut out some of the fat in terms of overhead and office space and infrastructure Has really allowed us to to take advantage of that. So what
0: is what is the name of this software? Uh, either the one that you use or your friend uses.
1: So the one that we use is called Clio um, and, it, and it's it's growing pretty quickly because people like myself are. Are seeing you know how awesome it is in uh, in keeping your your practice organized, and when you're a young firm and you're growing, you know you're focusing on the administrative aspects of the firm and the growth, um, and running the business. It can be hard to to keep track of all this stuff, and having a, a system in there that that keeps track of it for you is is just wonderful. Um, it's so much easier than you know some of the law firms that I've seen. You know some of the ways that they they. Manage their practice is entirely different.
0: So uh, I'll close the interview with a couple, a series of uh, final questions. Um, so the first question is, what gives you the most joy of running your business or the type of business that you have?
1: Uh, I think that's twofold. I, I think that's building something for ourselves that we're passionate about. Um, you know, we're a startup for startups, and and we work with entrepreneurs, and we are entrepreneurs. Um, And so building up our practice for ourselves and not having those golden handcuffs and, you know, being able to to plan to be able to work in Spain if we want to go to Spain or another state or if I want to go back home to Hawaii, knowing that I can count on not only my business partner but myself to be able to to keep running the firm on our own terms is something that is really, really exciting for us. And then number two, um, working with entrepreneurs, these people that are passionate about their ideas and their projects and, and monetizing them and turning them into sustainable and exciting, um, companies is something that is so exciting to see. So, you know, seeing a company go from literally nothing or something out of a garage or something out of, you know, an Etsy store online to a well-known, um, brand is something that is really exciting for us.
0: So what's the one thing that you've learned most from your clients about how they run their business that you use to run your business? Uh,
1: I, I think probably self, self-development um, and how important it is, um, how your own professional development. Uh, some of the entrepreneurs that we work with are so inspiring and they've, you know, they've been around the block and they realize that in order for your company to be the most successful that it can be, then you have to be your best self, um, personally and professionally. And so I think that's something that Tyler and I, I call him Tyler, his, you know, his first name is David. That's something that him and I have really taken to heart. And, you know, any chance we get, we're reading, you know, we're reading books on how we can become better selves We're keeping up with the news and educating ourselves. You know, we recently talked to someone um, who structures his week in a way that I, I think is pretty inspirational for at least, you know, a startup law firm. And that's, he works his tail off Monday through Thursday, and then on a Friday he doesn't do work. What he does is he develops himself. So he just spends Friday reading up on the you know the latest trends, um, reading books that kind of will help his mindset and his practice, um, and, and just making sure that he's dedicating at least a little bit of time to himself and his professional development. It's something that, that we're starting to really try to do, and, and it's, it's really helping not only with our mindset, but uh, the quality of the work that we do.
0: So what specific books or people have inspired you to develop yourself personally and professionally?
1: Uh, well, there's a couple answers to that. I have those books right there that I'm looking at. One of them is Getting Things Done. Um, you may have heard of it. It's The Art of Stress-Free Productivity. And that's just kind of changing the way that you operate um, and, and your approach to the things that you do. It really helps to, to streamline your processes and and kind of create a more stress-free environment for yourself. The other one is the E-Myth, it's kind of similar. Focuses on the systems that you have in place and your processes and helps you kind of build a mindset where you can learn to automate the functions of your business so that you can focus on what you're really good at doing. Um, I I think those are two important books that a lot of entrepreneurs should read. Um, And then a person, um, Jessica Ullman, Uh, she runs her own law firm, she runs the Vero Law Group here in Santa Monica, it's become very successful. When I was in law school, I reached out to her, you know, hoping that I could get an internship or a job or something like that. And uh, I interviewed with her and she's like, look, we're not we're not hiring, but I would love to show you how we've become successful. And she really, really pounded into my head the importance of self-development. And she explained her story, starting her own firm with only one or two clients and struggling until she was able to change her mindset and really focus on that professional development. And that's when she started to become really successful, and she's blown up and, and doing really, really well nowadays. And so I, I think those are some things that we try to keep, you know, in mind. As, as busy as we get, we try to keep these people and and these um, this, these educational um, resources, you know, at the forefront of what we do.
0: And you said her name was Jessica Ullman. What was the name of the law firm? The Vero Law Group.
1: V E R O Law Group. And you know, I, I haven't talked to her. Since then, I probably should follow up and get some coffee with her or something, but that's stuck in my head ever since I met with her. Um, and, I, and I've kind of kept kept an eye on, on how how much she's grown, and um, I can see how successful she's doing. So.
0: so what are your plans for the future of your company? Uh, well, we want to grow it, but we don't want to grow it
1: you know, too big because we like what we do and we like the non-corporate feel. Uh, so we're going to grow it. To a point um, where it becomes sustainable, um, to the point where we can work on ourselves and for ourselves, um, but also not be a part of the traditional, you know, ninety hours a week in the office doing paperwork. Uh, yeah, that's not something that we want to we want to do. So we're going to grow it to be something sustainable. We're gonna we're gonna stay passionate about it as we are. Hopefully, grow by a couple of attorneys in the next couple of years. Um, it's going to come down to our work ethic, and, and I think we're excited to to find that happy that happy medium.
0: Is there a maximum number of clients that you, as one lawyer, are able to handle um, to be able to offer uh, services that are like really that the customer feels that you're really paying attention to them and helping them? So, you personally, is there a number that is comfortable for you?
1: It's hard to say because you know I, I have a good number of active clients right now, but some of them are, you know, require less of my services or, or time than others do, um, and so it kind of depends. But I'll never ever get to a point where I can't provide, you know, quality legal services. If if we have to, we'll make another hire, or we'll have to turn clients away and refer them, you know, to to one of our colleagues. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna make sure that that we continue to provide quality. And as soon as we ever get scared that we can't do that, then we're going to bring someone on board. Uh,
0: So you mentioned about your mindset. Uh, What's one uh, mindset uh, principle that you've learned uh, in terms of personal development or professional development?
1: Uh, Keep learning. There's always something to learn. Um, I, I have life, I've been a lifelong learner. I, I never want to stop learning. I, I always want to be a student of not only life, but everything that I do. Um, there's always going to be someone out there who's, you know, more knowledgeable or, or more talented, um, or, or more dedicated to something that you might be. And, 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 uh, a lot, that's, you know, that's the mindset of a lot of people. I don't want to have that mindset. I want to, I want to keep on learning and I want to make sure that w- whatever I do, that it's, it's because I'm willing to, to work as hard as I can and, and keep up to date with the trends and the, and the knowledge that I need to have to do what I'm doing. And so I, I think that's important, just to keep on learning and, and keep on improving myself and the way that I do things and, and my personality too, the way that I interact with people and the way that I handle stress and, and the, tough, the tough parts of life.
0: And uh, What sacrifices have you had to make as you're starting and growing and scaling your business?
1: Uh, like any entrepreneur, I've, I've had to, you know, I, I, I've had to sacrifice some of the financial freedom that a lot of my uh, law school um, peers may have may have gotten right out of law school. You know, the first couple months starting our firm were tough because uh, we started with no clients. Uh, marketing was was tough. We, you know, we were bootstrapping everything, and so you know, I, I could have taken the job up in Santa Barbara or you know in downtown Los Angeles and made a significant amount more um, financially and uh, that's something that that meant less to me and so that was a sacrifice Uh, it it was a sacrifice but one that I was happy to make for you know for what my partner and I are building
0: what's the one thing you're most proud of looking back
1: Uh, just the growth that we've had so far Um, you know we started with no web presence at all no SEO built our website from scratch you know, ourselves, um, and, and we've become profitable we've crossed into the black and we've grown since May alone, you know, in the last three and a half months, we've, we've grown probably three, 400%. Um, and I don't know if that's sustainable, but that's, you know, that's the path that we're on right now. We're, we're seeing a lot of growth. We're expecting a lot of growth and, um, and we're working hard to make sure that we, that we do keep growing.
0: And what would be your biggest challenge right now? Um, just, you know,
1: I, it might be, you go a week or two, uh, of a lull, right. Where, where business is kind of slow for two weeks, maybe, it, it, you know, first part of the month, you're, I'm, I'm crazy busy and I'm working 15 hours a day and, and then all of a sudden a week or two goes by and, and nothing happens. Um, there can be a, a tendency in times like that to, to get kind of stressed out and, and really upset and think, Oh, what am I doing wrong? What did I stop doing? Why did you know? Why did we not get any new clients for a week and a half, two weeks? Uh, so that's that can be extremely stressful, especially for a startup, and, and not even just in the legal industry. Any any startup business, you know, going through the ups and downs can sometimes be discouraging. And so, making sure that we're surrounded by the, the right people, and we keep encouraging each other, and and uh, and have that right mindset, I think that's really important.
0: And what advice would you give to yourself if you were just starting out now or to somebody who's an entrepreneur, whether in the legal space or any entrepreneur who's looking to get started? What advice would you give them?
1: Network more. Um, if I could go back to myself eight months ago, I wasn't networking nearly enough. Um, you know, we, we got to a point for the first couple months in the beginning that we were so stressed out in um, the administrative jobs and, and you know, trying to build our website and our SEO that we really did not put nearly enough effort into meeting new people and, and networking enough and going to enough events. I think once we started really picking that up and, and making more of an effort to talk to more people and meet more people, that's when our business really started to grow. You know, and I, I think that translates to other industries as well. If you're a new business and you're looking for growth, then you need to put yourself out there and you need people to see you and see your brand and, and what you're doing.
0: And what would be a success for you to be part of this podcast? Uh, What would you look to get out of being part of the show, whether it's this podcast or any other podcast?
1: I think it's important for, you know, I don't know how many lawyers you have on on things like this or how many lawyers are on entrepreneurship, you know, business podcasts. But I think it's important for, for people, for business owners, to see that their lawyers are just like them. You know, they, they just are in a different field. Um, they're, you know, they're normal people and they're not this stuffy, traditional, come see my, you know, nice office on the top floor of a downtown building um, or, you know, come see my ocean views and, and be impressed by them. Uh, we want our clients to see that we're just like them. You know, we're happy to meet with our clients over a cup of coffee and talk. We don't we don't We don't need to impress them with the flashy, you know, the, the sort of flashy things that I feel like a lot of law firms really feel like they have to do. We care less about that and we care more about building relationships and, and for our clients to see that we're normal people just like them. We're just in a different industry and we can help them and they can help us.
0: And so what are some last words you want people to remember? Uh, Verhagen Bennett LLP. Uh, how do you want people to remember your business? By uh, I, I think they want
1: to, to see, um, you know, people that, or I want them to see entrepreneurs that that took a leap of faith, just like they did, um, and 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 entrepreneurs that started a law firm that care more about the relationships they build and the way that they help people than their bottom line. Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious that, that we don't care that much about you know the purely financial side of things. We started this firm from scratch, just like a lot of these entrepreneurs started from scratch, and you know we're young guys, and and I think that that goes a long way in, in showing our clients and, and prospective clients and, and friends and people that we might meet through networking that we're two guys that really care um, about what we do and, and we enjoy doing what we do. And when we meet with our you know, our friends or our clients or people we see networking, it's going to be with a smile on our face because we truly have a passion for what we're doing.
0: And So the mission of the Javier Marchetto Show is to share the stories of entrepreneurs, corporate executives and thought leaders. And create a community around learning how to start, grow, and scale a business. So, Dallas, if anyone wants to reach out to you to continue the conversation, how can they do that?
1: Uh, feel free to to visit my website and, and give us a call. Um, we're, you know, we're pretty visible online now. Uh, go ahead and search our, our law firm or my name. Uh, feel free to reach out and let you know. Let me know that you saw me on on this podcast um, or heard me on this podcast, and. Let me know if there's anything that you know that mindset-wise or or anything that you think that I can learn from or how I can learn. Um, I, I look forward to hearing any any feedback from entrepreneurs that are kind of going through the same thing that we are and and, and what they think about you know our approach.
0: And so the website is verhagenbennett.com. That's V-E-R-H-A-G-E-N-B-E-N-N-E tt.com, so verhagenbennett.com. And so once again, this is Dallas Verhagen, co-founder and partner of Verhagen Bennett LLP, a boutique transactional business and intellectual property law firm for business owners, entrepreneurs, and creatives. Uh, In today's episode, you had a chance to learn about his experience starting, growing, and scaling his company. And, uh, his experience helping helping entrepreneurs and business owners grow their business. So I hope you're inspired by hearing his story and go out and take action. Uh, you can reach out to him. And also, if you enjoyed this conversation, have ideas for future episodes, or you just want to reach out to me as well, you can email me at Javier at JavierMorquecho.com. So that's Javier at JavierMorquecho.com. And I'm here to continue the conversation with you as well and discuss topics that are important to you. So thank you, Dallas, for being here. And thank you, everyone, for being a part of the show. Uh, See you all next time.
1: Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.